Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome again to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. We're so glad that you're here with us today, especially as we come together to worship the Lord and to gather around his table. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table, we want to turn to the book of Mark to the seventh chapter beginning in verse 14 and continuing through verse 23. This is a, a passage that continues a story that we began last week. So if you want the background on this, just go read those first 13 chapters, uh, first 13 uh, verses of the seventh chapter, and you'll see the context uh, that we'll be talking about today. But let's turn now to the 14th verse in Mark chapter 7. And Jesus called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since that enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask you, O God, by the light of your truth to show us the things that we need to see. Sometimes those dark things that remain hidden to us until you shine your light into them. Lord, let your word be that light. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, our rock and redeemer, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, after his latest confrontation with the Pharisees over the issue of hand-washing. Do you remember that from last week? After that last confrontation over the issue of hand-washing and the traditions of men and the authority of the law, Jesus once again called his followers together to unpack what had happened in that confrontation. And he said this, he said, hear me and understand. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him and then it says that he left the people and went inside with his disciples but apparently they were still a little bit confused as you might be too as i am when i first read this passage apparently they were still a little bit confused about what he meant and they said teacher you're gonna have to explain this a little bit more we still don't quite get it so jesus took an example from the pharisees own playbook and used their own obsession with washing and ritual cleanness to make his case. I want you to look back at those first verses that I referred to earlier, back to verses 3 and 4 in the first part of the story, to a sidebar 
that Mark gives in verses 3 and 4. He says this, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. If you go up to verses 3 and 4, you'll see that there is this explanation of all these other rules that they also uphold. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because there are no throwaway words in the Bible. And Jesus uses the Pharisees' own obsession about the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels to explain this spiritual reality. He's saying that if you don't wash the inside of a cup or a bowl or a jug, it defiles whatever you put in it. Allow me to explain using my own coffee cup. A lot of people have seen me with this coffee cup. It's become sort of emblematic of me. People say that it's actually the coffee cup of power. It's the one I carry around when I'm trying to look important. But this is the one, yeah, you're looking at the size of it and you're thinking, that's not a coffee cup, that's a coffee pot. How much coffee does this guy drink a day? The answer is a lot. But the point is, this is my coffee cup and I can wash the outside of it all day long. But if I don't take the lid off, if I can get the lid off, if I don't take the lid off and wash the inside, guess what? It's going to get pretty gross. It's going to attract dust. If I leave it over the weekend, it's going to attract mold and stuff like that. And pretty soon, it's no longer a coffee cup. It's just a Petri dish. And whatever I put in, if I don't wash it, gets defiled, gets polluted, just like the inside of the coffee cup. The point is, I can wash the outside all day long, but if it's still dirty on the inside, that's what matters. And if I don't wash the inside, then it gets pretty gross. So what point is Jesus making? He's saying that all that filth that is on the inside of us, all of that brokenness, all of that corruption in that Petri dish, all of that that's growing, that actually corrupts anything that's poured into that coffee cup, into that vessel, into that jug, into that, into that drinking receptacle. Now, the illustration of the inside of the cup is literal, and it's kind of gross, but Jesus is using this illustration to make a point. It's not what comes into you that defiles you. It's what's in you already that defiles you. Listen to what he says. For, uh, he says, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. It's, a, it's the coffee that comes in that gets defiled. Excuse me, it's not the coffee that comes in. It's the cup that defiles the coffee that comes in that then defiles us. Now, I want you to think about this because this reverses so much of our conventional Christian thinking. We always want to blame the outside forces for our sin. The devil made me do it, or rather the serpent made me do it, is literally the oldest excuse in the world. 
But when we aren't blaming the serpent, we're blaming other forces, from media to culture to politics. And we're claiming to be the victims of environment and systems and circumstances and history. But Jesus says that the problem is not from the outside, but on the inside. When Jesus is talking about the heart, he's not talking about the, the mechanical, muscular blood pump. He's using the word heart, not uncommonly, to mean the center, the heart of who you are, your mind, your soul. It's not just your ticker, it's what makes you tick. It's that personal, noumenal core that's deep inside you that makes you who you are. It's your identity, not just your name or your genetic code, but your being. And what happens when outside things get to the center of who you are? Now, I want you to remember this. The heart is still a pump. But what matters is what you pump out. And in this case, Jesus is talking about the heart pumping out either good or evil. Even though each one of us is different in our own unique and special ways, according to the Bible, the heart exists in one of two states. Either it is a heart of flesh, twisted, centered, and ingrown upon itself, or it is a heart transformed by the Spirit of Jesus, transformed by God, the Holy Spirit, to receive his love, to reflect that love back, and to radiate that love to others. And so again, it's not about what comes into your heart. It's about the heart that these things come into. Now, we're right to be concerned about the influences that we let into our minds and hearts. And yet, in this case, Jesus is focused on what we do with what comes into us. What do you do with what comes into you? What do you do with the gossip and the rumors that you hear? What do you do when someone says something offensive or hurtful? What do you do when you see perverse sexual images on the internet or on TV? What do you do when you hear vulgar song lyrics or language? What do you do when someone cuts you off in traffic? What do you do when you're offered another and another and another drink? What do you do when your friends try to convince you to cheat or to act recklessly or unethically? What do you do when someone tries to bribe you or tempt you or seduce you? What do you do with emotional, physical, or sexual abuse? What do you do when you see national leaders lying on TV? Think about watching the news this week with all of the corruption that is entering our eyes and ears, how does it come back out? What do you do with these things? Do they come into you and go back out as anger, evil thoughts, sexual, uh, sexual immorality, 
theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, or foolishness? Or do those things come in and come out as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Because the Holy Spirit dwelling in you takes those twisted and broken things and transforms them. What do you do with what comes in you? Again, it's not about what comes into your heart. It's about what kind of heart do these things come into? The heart of flesh or the heart of Christ? Which heart and whose heart do you have? It's not what you're given. It's what you do with what you've got. What is your heart pumping out in spite of what it receives? Now, as we read this story, not just this week's but last week's, you can just sense the Lord's frustration in this story. Because it seems that the big question on everybody's mind was focused on what is it that defiles us? But for Jesus and for us, there is a bigger question implied by this conversation. The biggest question is not what defiles, but rather what saves. The Pharisees seem to think it's hand washing and pot washing, and wearing the right tassels on your clothes, and all those sorts of things. But the Lord's frustration was that the Pharisees knew the contents of the law perfectly. But what they didn't understand was the point of the law. You see the difference there? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He's saying the Pharisees just don't get it. They misunderstand the law. They are missing the point of the law, the heart of the law. And if they are missing the heart of the law, then they are missing the heart of the law, of the love behind the law. And if we misunderstand the law of God, then ultimately we will misrepresent the God of the law. This is why Jesus is so frustrated here. This whole business of washing hands and pots and vessels, the whole purpose of the law itself is to point to something bigger. The point of the law was to point to our need, to man's need, our extreme need for God and his grace. We are sinners broken and in violation of God's holiness. And the law points that out. The point of the law, even of the laws of purity and uncleanness, is to remind us that we are dirty, but that we can be cleaned. That we are defiled, but that we can be holy. That we are broken, but we can be restored. 
And the point of the law is to turn us away from our sin to the only thing that can save us and make us clean, which is the grace of God. We are always trying to make things right ourselves. We're always trying to fix ourselves. We're always looking for the right remedy, the right strategy, the right program, the right system. But what we don't understand is we can't change ourselves by changing what's outside. We change ourselves by what God does inside. As a matter of fact, we don't even change ourselves. It's he that changes us. You can clean the outside all day long, but what matters is your heart. And the only thing that can change our core, our heart, our soul, our center, the only thing that can change the inside of the vessel is the grace of God. So what saves? It is the grace of God. We are saved by God's unfailing love, by his undeserved mercy and his unstoppable power. I want you to understand that grace is not just a New Testament concept. It is a whole Bible concept. It is the very essence of God's relationship with his creation and his people. The people of Israel were God's people because of his grace. But the Pharisees thought that they had earned the grace of God by their ritual holiness, by the washing of their hands, by eating the right foods or abstaining from the wrong foods or sewing tassels on the corners of their clothes. But they misunderstood the heart of the law and they tragically misunderstood the heart of the lawgiver. And what happens when we start taking the law more, important, uh, more seriously than the lawgiver is we start to make a mockery of God, and we make a mockery of his holiness, and instead we make it look like silliness. When instead we need to understand that the law is a gift. And the point of the law is to convict us of our overwhelming need for God's grace. Because nowadays it's easy for us to believe that we don't need God. Even if we never say it, we live like it all the time. We believe that our power, our resources, that they're sufficient to meet the challenges of life and death. That is until we're confronted with forces more powerful than we are. With questions we can't answer, with pain that we can't overcome, with longing that we cannot explain or hungers that we cannot satisfy and thirsts that we cannot quench. But then the law shows us that we are so broken, so fallen, so lost, so rebellious that we cannot save ourselves. That in fact we need someone to save us. It shows us the evidence of what we cannot see on the inside of the cup. Evidence of what is in there that we can't see, that is until we see it coming out on the outside. Our self-centeredness, our confusion, our anger, all of that stuff on the inside that defiles. Martin Luther put it this way. He wrote, the commandments of God are intended to teach man to know himself that through them he may recognize his inability to do good and may despair of his own ability. It makes us realize 
that we must have a grace, a righteousness, not of our own making, but outside of us. And so the law is like the results of a lab test or an x-ray saying, this is what's wrong with you. This is what's broken. You need a doctor. It's like a person pointing at an oncoming car yelling, watch out, or a sign that says, turn around, don't drown. And Jesus wants you to know that that sign was placed there not by someone who wants to condemn you, but someone who wants to save you. Listen to me. Grace is about do versus done. It's not about what we have to do to earn God's favor or assuage his holiness. It is about what God has done to make our relationship with him possible. And what has God done? He has given us his son. Jesus did not come just to clean us off. Jesus Christ came to fulfill what we could not fulfill. He came to endure what we could have never endured the righteous consequences of our sin against God and one another. And on the cross, Jesus took responsibility for every crime that was ever committed, every spiritual blasphemy, every moral perversion, every hateful act of violence, every sin of omission, of omission or commission that we have ever committed. He has taken on himself responsibility and the burden for every lousy thing that we have ever done but not only that, on the cross, he died to bear every sin that was ever committed and gave his life to bear ever, every offense that we have ever endured. So not just our sins, but the sins of others as well. He came to take our place, to take our defilement, our evil thoughts, our sexual immorality, our theft, our murder, our adultery, our coveting, our wickedness, our deceit, our sensuality, our envy, our slander, our pride, our foolishness, and replace it with his righteousness. Jesus takes all of those sins that come out of us and covers them with his sinfulness. Sinlessness, excuse me. With his sinlessness. As Paul said, for our sake, he made him to be sin who had no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. What makes us righteous? Not ritual cleanness or washing of hands, but betting your life on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. By betting your eternity and your right now on the love and power of God proven by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, God looked at us and punished him so that God could look on him and pardon us. Instead of getting what we deserve, we get what he deserves, which is the love of God. Because Jesus died for our sins instead of us, it means that when we turn around to God, 
when we repent and turn to God and fall into the Father's arms, the God of the universe no longer knows you as a broken, lost, self-absorbed rebel who could care less about him or anybody else. He doesn't see us as failures. He doesn't see us as addicts. He doesn't see us as sinners. He sees you and he loves you as his own beloved child, his own son, his own daughter. You know, maybe you've been in trouble. Maybe you've made some terrible choices. Maybe you have hurt people. Maybe you've made fun of God's truth or mocked his people, abused his gifts, or taken his patience for granted. Maybe you've slandered his name. Any of those things. But instead of giving you and I what we deserve, in his great grace, God says, Do not be afraid. I love you. I forgive you. And I want you back. And I've given my own son to prove it. The Pharisees were obsessed with less. All while Jesus was offering them more. They were concerned with hygiene. While Jesus was pointing them towards salvation. The law is a sign pointing us to the overwhelming need for the grace and holiness of God. And the prescriptions to wash our hands, to wash our pots, our coffee cups, those are a reminder that by his grace, God has provided us a way to him, made real in our trust of Jesus Christ. So it's not just what makes you righteous, it's who makes us righteous. What is it that makes a man clean before God? What is it that can take away my sin and make me holy before God? As the old hymn says, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Beloved, we all know well, too well, what defiles us. What breaks us? What wounds us? What scares us? But do we know equally well, know better, what saves? Do we know who saves? Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, as we come to you today, As we gather around this table, carefully prepared, we ask that you would help us to remember that, indeed, it is a sign, a sign of your grace, pointing us toward you and your Son. We ask you to help us to remember that the most important message you can give us is the love proven the love you have for us proven by the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, turn us to see that love to which these signs point. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If the law of God is a sign pointing to the things that defile us, pointing to things that break us and scare us and turn us away from God, then this table is a sign 
of God's love for us. If the law is a sign that points us and points, and points to the things that destroy us, this is a sign of what saves us. The grace of God and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We gather around this table to receive the sign and seal of this sacrament to be reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us to put us in a right relationship with God. That his body, as real as this bread, which is broken, was really given for us. That he really died a real death so that we might see his love for us. That he really poured out his real blood so that we would understand that God's love for us is as real as his death on the cross. As we gather around this table, we remember that it's a sign pointing us to Jesus. It does not erase the other sign that says that we are in need of a Savior, but it does remind us where that salvation comes from. And so as we gather around this table today, we do so to be reminded not just of the sign pointing to our sin, our need. We are so aware of that. But we do it to remember the grace and the salvation proven through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. People will come from east and west and north and south to sit at table in the kingdom. We come to this table today not because we are worthy, but because we are invited. And we are invited not because we are ourselves righteous, but because we are covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is a sign pointing to his grace and by his Holy Spirit. We are sealed, imprinted with the grace of Jesus Christ, with the grace of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And so we come to this table not to make a statement, but to receive a blessing, not to check a box, but so that we will be reminded of the truth and the power of God to make a difference in our lives now and forever by the grace of his Son. And so come. This table is for all those who claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and who are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This table is for you. Let us pray. O oh God of grace, it is our joy to give you thanks and praise for who you are and what you have done in our lives and in history. It is our joy to give you thanks and praise for the faithful in every age who have followed your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you've shown us the path of life and filled us with the gifts from your Holy Spirit and best of all, the joy of your presence. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord and Savior. Sent to be our Savior, he reconciled our relationship to you. Sent to be our Savior, as he hung on the cross, the power of his blood defeated the power of sin and death. And as he lay in the darkness, the death of that tomb, you raised him from the grave. He is our risen Lord and Savior forever. Remembering all your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this cup from the gifts you have given us. And we celebrate with joy 
the redemption won for us in Jesus Christ. We pray for others too, O God, our Savior, claiming your mercy and love in Jesus Christ and committing ourselves to love our neighbors in need. We pray especially for doctors and nurses who are caring for COVID patients in hospitals all over the world. We pray for people, children and adults who are COVID patients. Give them your healing and assurance that you love them no matter what. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Haiti who are recovering from a major earthquake and utter devastation in their lives. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Louisiana, New Jersey, New York, and other states who are recovering from flood damage caused by Hurricane Ida. We pray for people in our own congregation dealing with the death of loved ones, recovering from falls or healing from a surgery, sickness, or grief. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread in this cup, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out into the body, to be the body of Christ in the world. Transform our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit that our hearts may be a receptacle for your love to be given out to a world of need. Give us your compassion. May the things that break your heart, O God, break our hearts too. And give us your strength to serve you faithfully until the promised day of resurrection when with the redeemed of all the ages we will feast with you at your table in glory. We pray this prayer in the strong, saving, and mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. As it was given unto me, so now I give it unto you. That on the night that our Lord was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples, and after supper he gave thanks, and he took bread, and he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat, and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, our Lord took the cup, and he said, This cup is the new covenant, sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink you all of it, and do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And beloved, he will come again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, for the table is prepared, and he is calling for you.